Thank you, Caleb and Whitney, for serving us so well with a song that just brought us into the throne room. And it's hard to keep your composure when you when you're singing to the glorious God that loves us with that kind of love. And Romans 8 is all about the heart of that kind of love for you. That God's love for you is is overflowing like a fountain in Romans 8. And, And we've been looking at it every week and just kind of looking at different sides of that multifaceted diamond. But it's also like a geyser of God's love for his people. And so I just I just pray that we get up under the fountain today, right? And just God just pours it down on us. So wherever we're at, wherever we're coming in, that we're just in touch with what God's doing and who he is and the great gospel that saves us and the reason that people gather from all sorts of different backgrounds because of who Jesus is in saving them. And, and, and brings a group of people that can be different on so many levels and yet brought together because they've been made new in Christ. It takes the love of God to do that and to renew people and then they begin to live a different way. That's what Romans 8 is all about. It unfolds the life of God before us and it unfolds the life of the Spirit in a Christian And as we get ready to get into it, let's come before the Father and ask His blessing so our hearts are just warmed, strangely warmed by the Spirit to these truths. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter in to Your Word, Lord, we we don't want mere opinions or sentiments or anything, Lord God, just purely natural happening right now. We don't just want a lecture or information. We want the life-giving words of God carried by the Spirit of God for the glory of God and the edification of your people. And we pray, God, that new life might break in to some that are here without it. That I pray that you would encourage and bring about a great and deep abiding assurance of the love of God your love, Father, for your people. And that the Spirit of God would be bearing witness today with our spirits that if we're in Christ, we are children of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in us, that we would have a visitation from you, that the love of Jesus would just be thick among us, and that the Spirit would awaken us to these truths and that we would get help in Jesus precious name. Amen. The title of my message today is led by the spirit into a knowledge of sonship. And it's all about assurance and adoption in Christ. I was thinking recently, it's been years, but I've seen the movie a a few times. The, the Disney, this is before Disney started putting pollution into our kids' minds, and, and there were still good things coming out of that um, uh, business and corporation. But this movie was called Enchanted, and it was all about this uh, princess who comes into real life New York City, 
and about a cynic that kind of lost his passion for love. He had no real heart for romance. He was kind of in a dead-end relationship, and he becomes sort of awakened to the enchantment of what it means to fall in love. And there's this song that's a famous song in the movie called That's How You Know. And he's trying to like, you know, get at this idea of, of love. And the princess just has this moment where she takes off and begins to tell him, this is how you know that somebody loves you in all of these different ways. This is how somebody can know that you care about them. This is how somebody can know that something real is happening in this relationship. And she sings a litany of evidences, right? Of how you can know that somebody loves you and how you can know that romance is real. And of course, this movie is just filled with cliche after cliche and all sorts of different uh, nods to past movies of princesses and stuff like that. But the core of that question, how can you know, is what Paul wants to get at when it comes to knowing whether you're a child of God in his family or not. How can you know that the love of the Father is on you and that you are in a relationship with God? How can you know that you're really in touch with God and that you have been adopted in His family and you have assurance of your salvation? So there can't be more important news for us to discover than what we're about to get into in Romans chapter 8. And last week, we spent a lot of time looking at what it means to live a life in the Spirit that is making war on our sin. And that thought is still going to carry a bit into this new sort of section that is related to the old section. So look with me at verse 13 in Romans 8 and see how, how this is connected to the rest of the chapter as we're going to kind of enter into this time in considering what it means to be a child of God and what a privilege it is. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant Word to us. This is a life-giving Word if we lay hold of it. And we're going we're gonna to look at this section for two weeks and we're going to see what it means to be led by the Spirit to make war on our sin and to have a posture in our hearts towards sin that has a hatred of sin and not just a complacency about sin. 
We're going to see what it means to, to be led by the Spirit into adoption as sons. That that language means something, and it means something glorious and magnificent for your soul. And there's no greater knowledge than a person can possess in his heart and soul than to know he's loved by God, she's loved by God, and been redeemed and brought into the family of God. But we're going to go deeper than that. We're going we're to be led by the Spirit into what it means to have an assurance that we're really saved in a child of God. I mean, some of you got questions about that. Like, I'm not real sure. Some days I don't feel that way. This is a word for you. And then next week we're going to spend some time looking at what, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit into a glorious, glorious inheritance, which is really all that verse 17 is about. So how do we know? That he loves us. And how do we know that we're his? So the first thing we see in this passage is that Christians know because they're led by the Spirit to make war on their sin. There's something that's happened. That's what last week was about, right? There's something happening in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You're going to live. You're going to have everlasting life. How you look at your sin makes all the difference. How you fight your sin makes all the difference. And then verse 14, see the connection? For, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this way of knowing that you are led by the Spirit and you are a son of God is connected to this idea of actually having a hostility not to God, but to sin. Your sin. Right? Verses 7 and 8 depict somebody without Christ as hostile to God. They don't obey God's laws. They cannot please God. And they don't want to. But verses 12 and 13 of Romans 8 have been depicting a Christian who makes war on their sin and sees it as something to be hated. And so you start having affections rise up in your heart for God and hatred for sin and things that will separate you from God. So one of the things that you want to ask yourself is, do I have how do I feel about my sin? Do I have a kind of hatred for it? Or am I kind of neutral about it? Like, oh, this is kind of how I am, you know. Or, or is there a sense in which I, I, want to do, I want to do everything I can to put to death things that are going to separate me from King Jesus? And I'm kind of helped by thinking about this. It's been said that um, our lives are a lot like gardening, Right? So in my yard, and I'm sure in many of yours, what happens when the grass is growing, everything's good, and then all of a sudden, weeds start to shoot up, right? And you start getting weeds. If you do nothing to those weeds, 
they begin to pop up everywhere and the weeds actually kill the rest of the good grass. So pretty soon, if you do nothing, all you've got is weeds everywhere. You have a garden of weeds and everything's dead. And our lives are a lot like that. If we're not plucking up the weeds of sin by the power of the Spirit in our lives, if we're not plucking them up, if we're not looking at them and saying, i got to pluck that up in the power of the Spirit, and we do nothing, and sin just overruns our life, takes over, dominates us, enslaves us, it will lead us to death. That's what verse 13 is all about. But if the Spirit is in you, you're being led by the Spirit. A lot of times we think about being led by the Spirit. It's like, well, the Spirit's going to lead me to marry a specific person. The Spirit's going to lead me to have a specific job. And we're thinking in terms of guidance. And there is something to the Spirit giving us promptings and the Spirit working in us, encouraging us, doing things to move us in specific ways. But this passage is all about how the Spirit leads you to fight sin and to make a holy warfare against it and to pursue your holiness like you're tending the garden of your life and life and death is at stake. And that's the heart of a Christian. That's the heart of somebody who's wanting to know, how do you know that you're in the love of God? How do you know that you're His? How do you know you're sons of God? Well, you're led by the Spirit. That's why that word for is in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God in this kind of way are sons of God. We're gardening. We're plucking up the weeds. And sometimes it's helpful to think about that in our life because what happens when you forget to mow the lawn for a couple weeks, it gets like Amazon rainforest up in there, right? And, and sometimes we can do that as Christians. We can forget to pluck the weeds up. And then the Spirit convicts us and we're like, oh man, I'm, I am struggling with this. Well, I'm not really struggling. I haven't gardened for a couple weeks. The Spirit leads you back into the gardening. You better get out that weed whacker. You better get out the Word of God. You better get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you. And then you get real zealous to start living for God in these ways. Now, Paul's real careful not to say, you work your way into heaven. So he's not saying... Get holy to get into heaven. He's saying if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've been born again, if you've been brought into a new family, you were made to live in a way that conforms to Jesus and makes war against sin and pursues godliness and lives distinct in this world. And I want to show it to you in verse 29 of Romans 8. That this was predestined for you before the foundation of the world. Now, don't get scared about predestination. That's in the Bible. And we got to deal with it, right? If it's in the Bible, we got to believe it. But listen to what this predestination is all about. Verse 29. For those who, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that 
he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus is the true Son of God. He's the Son of God by nature. He's the Son of God by nature. He always lives to do His Father's will. He always lives in obedience to the Father. And you know what happens when you get saved by trusting in Him? You begin to walk in the things God has predestined before the foundation of the world for you to become more like Jesus and look more like a true son because you've been adopted into the family. And that's what verse 14 is saying. For all who are led by the Spirit of God in this way, oh, they're sons of God. They are sons of God. And this is confirmed in the words of John chapter 1. If you remember John chapter 1 and verse 12, says the same thing about how you get born into the family, so to speak. But to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you are born of God, if God's spirit makes you alive and you start seeing the world the way it really is, you get saved out of your sins. You get cleansed from your sins. And then you want to begin to make war on your sin because now you're God's. And everything that dishonors God, you begin to dislike. And everything that honors God, you begin to have taste buds for. Where your taste buds were dead, right? What happened with COVID is some of us, when we got sick, we had a little bit of taste bud issues. And maybe some of our taste is not all quite right still yet. When you get saved, you get new taste buds. For the things of God. And you get a distaste for things that dishonor God. Has that happened for you? Is that going on? Even if there's an inkling of that going on in your soul, that's how you know you're his. You're led by the spirit to have a certain disposition towards all that is contrary to God and dishonoring to God. And you live for the son of God in a different way. It's been said that the son of God became the son of man, that the sons of men might become sons of God. The Son of God went to a cross, lived a perfect life, died a death bearing the wrath you and I deserve. Like we deserve judgment for our sin. We deserve condemnation. We deserve God's displeasure. And God sent His Son out of love to die on a cross to take that hit on Himself. And anybody who believes and receives Him can be saved. doesn't matter how far gone you are doesn't matter how far out you've gotten. It doesn't matter how much you've defiled yourself. There is hope to be brought out of slavery and into sonship. Brought out of slavery and into adoption, into the family of God. And that's the next thing we see in our passage. We're led out of slavery and into adoption. Look at it in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you see that contrast that's happening? Slavery and fear versus sonship, adoption, and a crying out in familial love, Abba, Father. Sin in our life, anything that dishonors God, any, anything that, 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 that causes separation between us and God brings slavery. It brings a sense of separation. And the Bible says separation from God ultimately and finally is death and eternity without him in hell. And so the Spirit of God leads Christians out of that slavery, out of that bondage, into sonship. And that's in the Bible. That's in the Romans 8. That's the treasure of Romans 8. You've been led out of slavery into sonship. And that's a glorious transaction. Now I want to ask you, do you relate to God as your Father? What do you make of God being your father. Because there's no notion in the Bible that you are automatically a child of God. In fact, the Bible says, Ephesians 2, we're children of wrath by nature. We're in Adam's family, fallen in Adam, corrupted by sin, bent in the opposite direction, right? Verses 7 and 8 remind us we're hostile. That's our natural self. We don't obey God's laws. In fact, we rebel against God's ways. A couple weeks back, we said, you know, what happens when you tell the kids, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar and the candy in the pantry? And they go, right for the candy in the pantry. Because there's something in us that's broken. But being adopted in the family of God means being brought out of that slavery and that inclination to go that way and into this new, unique relationship of sonship. And when you live as a slave, you always live in fear of the taskmaster. You live in fear of the bondage. You live in fear of judgment. And that's not something a son does. 1 John 4.18 says this. So, listen, if you're living in fear of God and you're a Christian, you need to get your heart around this. And if you're not a Christian, this is, you, you do live in fear of God every day. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you see that? The love of God for his people banishes fear. And we don't operate that way. Sometimes we view God as like this angry drill instructor who's just calling shots, doesn't care about us, and we're just kind of muscling through this obedience all on our own. No, he's giving you the Holy Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit of God because you are a son of God. You are a daughter of Christ. You are somebody who's been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of God and you're living a new way. If the Spirit's in you producing godliness, producing a, a discomfort with sin, you should always have kind of a holy sort of 
dissatisfaction. I want to grow more in the Lord. And if you're a believer and you backslide, you're always being gnawed at by the Holy Spirit. Come back to God. Come back to Him. He's your Father. He's your Daddy. He loves you. He's bringing you out of the spirit of slavery to fear and into a a relationship of sonship and adoption. And that's a sweet relationship because His love casts out fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind in Christ. So what do we make of this adoption language? Sometimes we we need to get a little help with it because in the Greco-Roman world, adoption had some legal significance. So you could be an adopted son and there were all sorts of legal ramifications of your adoption. You were once not a part of somebody's family. You get adopted in the Roman world. And now, as a son, you have every right, privilege, and inheritance of that family. You belong. And in some sense, you're treated just... No, in in the fullest sense, you're treated just like family. You are family. That transaction has happened legally. You are in the family. And sometimes the adopted sons live with a greater sense of sonship than even those natural born sons. Every right and privilege of being a child of God is yours in Christ. I can remember one of my teachers at Southern Seminary recounting a story of his desire to go to Russia um, to adopt some children to be a part of his family. And he recalls going to this orphanage in Russia. And he said that in this orphanage, there was an eerie silence as he walked in. You could smell the putrid nature of the the urine and the the defecation because nobody was changing these babies. Nobody was changing these kids. And you did not hear a single child cry because they had learned not to cry because nobody was coming. They had nobody. They were orphans without hope. And the Moors come in and they see two boys And they want to make them a part of their family. And they brought them out of that world. And they brought them into their family. And every right and every privilege of what it means to be a part of that family was now these two little boys. They had a nurturing father when they had an abandonment in the world. Now they have a father. Beloved, you need to know that. Like, that's, that's you. You have a Father if you're in Christ. You have a Father who loves you, who's taking care of you, and every right and privilege is yours, and He's going to clean off all the defilement and excrement of your life. He's going to clean you up. He's going to robe you in the righteousness of His Son, and you're going to be totally new because you belong to a new family, and nobody can take that from you. 
That's the power of God at work in the Gospel. And the Gospel means your adoption into a new family. And your Father will never leave you or forsake you. You were orphans, but now you're a part of the family of God. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Or as the prophet Hosea once said, yet the number of the children of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, they are children of the living God. You were not his. And then you were brought in to the family of God. You want to know how He loves you? He's done that for you, beloved. And if it hasn't happened, it can happen if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the spirit of adoption will usher you in. Is that not what verse 15 says right there about the spirit of adoption? You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption when you trusted in Jesus and you're now sons. And that language is talking inheritance because in those days, the sons inherited. But it includes men and women, boys and girls. This isn't just about you know males. This is about sonship and adoption. And how do I know that? Because the word for children is used just a verse later. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our... Spirit, verse 16, that we are children of God. That's the broad word for children. God means to bring people to Himself out of the world, out of slavery to addiction, to lust, addiction, anger, bitterness, envy. Or maybe you've just been so beat up in this world because you've been doing it on your own and you need to be rescued by a Father who brings you in. And He'll never let you down and never let you go. That's God's love towards any who trust in His Son. Come out from under the tyranny of slavery to sin and oppression to be a true son or daughter of God free and in the family of God. As one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said of adoption, he said, adoption is an act of God in which He takes us into His family. It's an act of God. And nobody can take it away. It's irrevocable. When you are in His family, you cannot lose that. Last week I talked about the real threat in the text of 13. It says if you live for sin and you live for the flesh, you will die and be without hope. But if you put to death the deeds of the body or sin, you will live. That's a real warning. But the sons of God and the daughters of God are those who fight sin. They are those who keep fighting, keep pressing on. They, the, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. But the question is, 
Has your disposition changed towards sin? And has your affection for God come out from under this fear, slave master sort of thing to sonship adopted in His family? It's a glorious thing to know you're in the family of God and the power of sin has been broken and your hope for rescue has been answered. And if that's not you, do not delay another second. Give your heart to God right now. Cry out within your heart right now with that Abba Father cry. Which is what the Spirit of God produces. There's a cry happening. There's a sense that the adoption is real because there's crying happening in the soul. There's a crying out to God. How do I know I'm in the family? I'm crying out to God. Verse 15, you know because you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Is something happening inside you moving you towards God as your Father? Are you compelled and controlled by the Spirit to cry out to God with that kind of intimacy? He's more than just your Creator. He's your Father. Do you have that? Have you approached God in that way because the Spirit of God has actually saved you? That's what Abba means. It, it's this familial term. It's this sense of, of, of a dear sort of intimacy of a father-son or a father-daughter. And there's a, there's a sense of affection. And maybe the English word daddy or papa would be equivalent. Not quite. It's not as casual. It's, it's, a, it's a dear, endearing, endearing term of affection. I'm reminded every time I come home and I've been gone you know, for a significant amount of time or I'm working on a message and I come home and I come through the doors and my kids see me and they run to the door and they're, Daddy! Daddy! You're here! They're so excited to see me. It's the Spirit crying out within you like that. Oh, I can't wait to be with my Father. Now, not every time in prayer you're going to have that kind of affection, but oh, when it comes, it's glorious. He's my daddy and I can't wait to spend time with him. Is that stirring in your soul? There's nothing that can keep the Christian from that kind of affectionate disposition because the Spirit is operating in you to produce it. And maybe if, if that's not happening, you cry out in the Spirit. You say, Lord, please do it again in my soul. Fan the flame in my soul once again so I have the affection for you. Like a, I want to come to you in that way. I want to I be yours. I know I'm yours, but I don't feel that way. Help me to feel that way. And the Spirit begins. It's the Spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit in you that indwells you. Verse 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not... In the family, you don't belong to Christ. But if you got the Spirit, the Spirit is doing something in you. Let us never have a Christianity that is so bland that the Holy Spirit's doing nothing in us. That's not true, brothers and sisters. The Spirit is in you. Producing a cry in your heart. Real prayer. Real heart cries. And you're not coming under the anxiety 
of fear, wondering what God's going to do to you. But you're coming to your dad. And you've been brought into that family by Jesus, the son, your elder brother. And it's a glorious family. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus modeled this kind of crying out to God in Mark chapter 14. He cried out to God in, in some of the most intense moments in the Gospel of Mark. Right before the crucifixion, Jesus says to the Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that the Abba, Father, cry actually means your redemption? That Jesus cried out to God and He knew if there was any other way, I would take it. But there wasn't. Because it was the Father's will that He would go to the cross to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and make them a part of the family of God. And His rescue is a security that everybody desires deep within. Do you know it? And if you do not come to Him, do not delay. Because Jesus cried out this way to God. And every time you do it, you're reminded that you would never cry out, Abba, Father, unless Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Because He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Have you tasted it? Come and see. Come and taste. Come and eat. Come to Jesus and call your Father to save you based on His shed blood and righteousness, His atonement for sin, His resurrection from the dead. He's the Son who went into the very depths of our sin and took the wrath we deserved. Plunged out of the grave three days later in victory to give us life and bring us into His family if we will but believe. What a glorious treasure we have as the Spirit leads us to make war on sin and the Spirit leads us into adoption and out of slavery. And the last thing we see in verse 16 is that the Spirit leads us into a deep, sweet assurance that we're a child of God. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what's some of the strongest evidence we see in this passage? That that's how you know, right? That's how you know something real is going on. Is that the Spirit, there's an internal inner witness of the Spirit bearing witness to your spirit. That's the same word we get martyr from. A martyr is somebody who bears witness to Jesus and testifies and they give their lives to do it. The Spirit of God is bearing witness with our spirit, that we're children of God. That's glorious. It's an inner testimony. 
It's the Spirit Himself. Did you see the language in verse 16? The Spirit Himself. The Spirit's a person. This isn't like the force, right? This is the Spirit. He is a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can be convicted by the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. He's a person. And He indwells believers as a mark of sonship and adoption. And He's bearing witness you belong to God. Like a little homing beacon. Bing! Going on in your soul. Maybe that beacon's faint sometimes, but it's still there. Still reminding you just when you gave up almost. No, the Spirit's there. Bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Is that not what the... Verse 9 gets at this idea that if anyone does not have the Spirit... Of Christ, he does not belong to Christ because there's no internal witness. But guess what? If you do have the Spirit, you belong and the Spirit is pinging you. Right? What an encouragement that we have to look no further than the Spirit's witness in our very souls. In the depth of your soul, God wants to remind you. In the closest proximity and intimacy, He wants you to know. That you're His. And the Spirit also reminds us that God loves us. And He pours out the love of God in our hearts. Look at it. Or actually, I'll just share it with you. Romans 5.5 is all about how God is doing this inner witness, but He's also poured out the love of God. The Spirit's job is to pour God's love all over you. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of the Savior, washed in His blood. There's nothing better than knowing that you're loved by God, that you belong, and that the Spirit is showering you with that love. Beautiful. It's yours in Christ. And if you want to enter this family, if you want to come, you need an introduction. You need to meet Jesus. You need to come to Christ. You need to, to hear what... What 1 John 5.1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. You want to know why there's love in the church? It's because we've been born of love. The love of the Father for us in sending Jesus into the world. He demonstrated His love towards you that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And you will know this by this, that they are my disciples, Jesus said, by their love for one another. And the Spirit's role is the inner witness and He's pouring out the love of God in your heart so that you may know that you're His. And anyone who says Jesus is Lord does it by the Holy Spirit if they mean it. In their heart. 
So will you come today afresh to these beautiful doctrines of your adoption in Christ and your assurance of salvation in the Spirit, bearing witness with your spirit? If you're a believer, be stabbed awake to these realities. Be be caught up afresh in it. Be marveling over it. Glorying in it. Praising God because of it. Your adoption means you no longer live under the fear of wrath. You're in the family. And the love of God embraces you. You're a daughter and son in Christ. Never lose sight of that. When you feel like an orphan. Because he's brought you into the family. Adoption means you have an intimacy with God now. What a glorious thing it is to call him father. You know what somebody believes about Christianity by what they make of God being their father. He's daddy. And adoption means you've got a glorious assurance in Christ. He will never let you be snatched from his hand. Never. So, if you've not tasted the heavenly gift, if you've not beheld the glory of Christ, if you're feeling inside, I need to make a commitment to Jesus. I need to make it afresh. I need to come to Jesus. Put your trust in Him and actually believe. God, please save me. Do it because of what Jesus did on a cross. And because of your great love towards me, I want to know that I'm yours and that nobody can take my salvation away. I want to be saved. I want to be renewed. I want to be forgiven. I want to be brought out of slavery into sonship. Well, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him as Lord and King and just turn away from the slavery. Whatever it is, and turn towards the Son. And come now. Today is the day. Let's come before the Lord and pray. Father, as You do surgery in our hearts, as You move upon our souls, as You draw us out, Lord, if we, if we need to turn to You afresh, if we need to turn away from slavery, turn away from sin, turn away from fear, and come into the embrace of sonship and adoption, being a son or daughter of God, I pray, Father, that that you would move upon our hearts to look to you now, to look to you, to believe and to just cry out in our hearts, Lord, save me, save me from my sin, save me from my running away from you in fear and bring me back to you because I believe what Jesus did. I believe he went to the cross. I believe he was forsaken so I could be forgiven. And oh, send your spirit into my heart to produce that Abba Father cry. Redeem me and wash me in the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Father, would you work that in the hearts of those who need to call out to you right now? And as we savor these glorious realities as the people of God, would you, would you work in our hearts to produce a glorying 
in these great truths of our adoption in Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.